You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump. With me, as always, is Mike, the Cranky Fan, and it is the last episode in February. We're full steam ahead to March, and we are just like uh, less than 60, maybe maybe about 60 days away from the NFL draft. Yeah, this is when the start of the season or the time of the year my head starts to spin. Uh, Very busy weekend. I was at four New York sporting events this weekend. Saw my lightning twice, saw the Knicks twice, just got back from the garden. Uh, Nail biter, me and uh, Nikki Snacks were there. I saw the New York Revival guys there at halftime, a lot of fun. So uh, I'm still just trying to decompress after that. But uh, nothing brings you back down to earth other than talking about the state of the New York football giants. (laughs) Yeah, we we had some fun this weekend. You and I actually caught a game together. We were... uh... Devil's Lightning for a little bit on a Sunday afternoon was a nice, easy game to go to. Yeah. Uh, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like we're at that point of the season where, you know, it's the winter up here. It sucks to do anything outside. You want to do something inside. And, you know, there's a lot of these teams have matinees on weekends, and it's great. You know, it's a great atmosphere. It's good to get families and kids into games because that's the next generation of fans. And uh, the most important thing, uh, Grump, is that lightning beat the devils and that was a you know for two important points in the race for the wild card right now so take that yeah yeah that was that was a big game that they needed devils have been uh this year has been just awful for them they didn't retool properly in the offseason and injuries this year have really doomed them i didn't realize that we were at the game with uh frank the tank of barstool fame (laughs) i saw that (laughs) yeah i did i didn't know that when I, i he apparently got temporarily kicked out and then i guess just told to calm down and sit back down yeah i saw the tweet and if i would have known he would have been in the building i would have bet even heavier on the lightning to win because <laughs> there's nothing quite like having a mush um but you know it was interesting grump we were um you know i was at you know three of the four new york arenas this weekend and i was actually at barclays two weeks ago when the uh the warriors played the nets and it's interesting to see how different all three are as far as you know atmosphere and uh you know, it's it's cool to have like you don't have just cookie cutter places here. They both have they all have their you know unique kind of feel and style to them. So um, I know you've been to you know a lot of the buildings. Like, want to compare them real quick or? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you've been everywhere. So you, I, I'm more <laughs> interested in your takes. I, I'm I'm pretty easygoing. I can usually point out if some places like I don't have a complex grading system. I really just want places to be. Uh, efficient, have some kind of culture, and that's pretty much it. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, if it's efficient and has culture, it's a 10 out of 10 for me. If it's missing one, it's five. It's missing both. It's MetLife, right? Yeah. I mean, the the worst building, I think, of everything in the New York area is MetLife. You know, we've, we've complained about it all the time, how there's a complete lack of excitement or energy or atmosphere there it's cramped there's no roof it just sucks it's just it kind of looks like if the challenger shuttle like just kept going sideways and landed in new york and then they just put fans inside of it it has it has nothing <laughs> to it other up. than yeah it just looks like shuttle wreckage it's it's steel that's it yeah it's, it's pretty bad um 
you know, the baseball stadiums really quickly. I think City Field is 10 times better than Yankee Stadium. Yankee Stadium is just an Epcot version of the real one that was torn down. Is no Again, very little atmosphere. They tried desperately hard to recreate a time in history when the Yankees were relevant and won championships. City Field feels like a park. It feels like a place I want to go on a Saturday afternoon, even if I'm not a Mets fan. I just want to sit out and watch baseball. Um, Been to both the, uh, like City Field more as well. Also, better food. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when we come to the, you know, New York is the New York area is very fortunate. We have four arenas in this area, which is great for the fan. If you want to, you know, catch a tour or a concert or, you know, you know, the, 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 the winter sports in multiple locations, you don't have to overpay, you know, just to have, you know, the Knicks or the Rangers, you know, you have other options too. So, you know, to me, for atmosphere, there's nothing like the Garden. You know, it's that place. It it feels different than any other place. The crowd is the smartest crowd in the NBA. Um, it's the best. Uh, I think the Rock is the second best for atmosphere places, to be very honest. Um, you know, there's like a black and red tint to that building, so it feels like you're at a Devils game. A lot of arenas you go to, it just feels like a cookie-cutter place. Um, you know, they had their chance and stuff. It felt like... It feels like a building that's been lived in for a while. Um, Barclays, other than the fact that has like they play, you know, Jay-Z and and Biggie Smalls and Brooklyn and New York City based music. It really has very little atmosphere for basketball. And UBS is pretty much no atmosphere Uh, that that is a building that needs to be moved into and breathe more, I think. So um, but. As far as like a, a building, it's comfortable. I mean, the garden is the worst. It is, you know, we snacks are trying to get out of the building. It takes us 20 minutes to get down the escalators. It's just so cramped. You know, the, the newer ones like the rock and uh, UBS are much, much, much nicer for that. Um, prices are, you know, UBS is outrageously expensive. Uh, Prudential was nice. Not, not too terrible in cost. The garden's always going to be expensive because the Dolans are a bunch of fuckers. Um, accessibility, just, you know, overall, I, I, to me, we can say about all these things at the end of the day, there's nothing like Madison Square Garden. And for all of the deficiencies it has, it's still the best. And, you know, if I have to pick one sporting, you know, location I have to go to in the city for one event, it would be a Knicks game at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, but do you, you have a different opinion for concerts though, right? Um, yeah, I think the garden sounds fantastic for concerts. I, you know, I don't know if it's just the way the roof is built or that, you know, they, they put a lot of money into sound and I know that Dolan's, they care a lot about entertainment, you know, not just the sports that are in there, you know, they spent what a billion dollars on the, on the sphere in, in Vegas. So concerts sound great at the garden. Um, Prudential, I saw Radiohead there about 10 years ago. It sounded like the typical tinny sound in an arena. Uh, I've not I've not seen a concert at Barclays. UBS, we saw Springsteen, but we were right on the floor. So, you know, that's not really fair to say how well the sound is when you're right there. So, um, again, the, the history of the garden, it's like, oh, this is where, you know, the Stones have played all the time. And, you know, Elton John concerts in the past and Elvis played there and, you know, how many times has Billy Joel been there? 44 billion times. And it just feels like if you're seeing a show at the Garden, it's important. 
Yeah, um, I, I I like the garden. I think it I think it's easy to get to. Um, I have no issues with the garden at all. I'm happy with Prudential. Uh, I it. it the unusual luck of having a properly built building um, and it, it's in a section of Newark that's been revitalized is not that bad uh, pretty yeah. pretty nice little area I think it's easy as hell to get to uh, for both of us right we came from opposite directions it was like the easiest commute of all time it's it's easy if you're driving there and it's easy if you're taking more easier I think to take the train from anywhere in Jersey or from the city you could right you know, Jersey transit you know, not even 20 minutes. You can take a path right to Midtown. It's, it's, uh, they've it's done like a, a pretty good job. It's a two block there. walk from Newark Penn. So, yeah. And I mean, it was packed Sunday. You know, I think it was a sold out show. Yeah. There's a, you know, thing about how oh, the Devils don't draw or the Islanders don't, but both of those games this weekend were packed. I mean, obviously the Nick games were packed both nights. Um, so overall, it was just a, a fun, a kind of exhausting weekend when, you know, there's, you know, as we're getting ready to start really talking about the draft for the Giants and everything, it's good to have these other diversions of, you know, our basketball and hockey teams really starting to get into playoff pushes on their own. So, I mean, the little sleep I do have will be even less as I kind of keep up with all my all my teams. Yeah, so uh, we, we do have a, a hefty one to get into, and uh, I'm going to try and keep this one not nearly as long as the last episode. But that's okay because we, we kind of know what we're doing now. Uh, you guys know what we're doing. We're heading into the offseason assessment. This time we're going to take on the big chunk, the big kahuna, the offensive <clears throat> line. Uh, and this is going to be a little bit more uh, more volume, less talk, I think, right? Or, yeah. Uh, more volume, I guess, less discussion. So I, I think we're going to probably agree on a lot of the players that we have to chomp through here. But before we do, I'm going to crack open this here. Check Pilsner from uh where the hell is this from is this twin elephant it is twin elephant that's right same as last time twin elephant local new jersey brewery small business does a great job said they're getting a shout out for free on the show uh just like us small business could use a shout out so if you are listening right now and you know some friends that are giants fans tell them all about just giants uh and of course like and subscribe yeah um, and again, what, the way we're doing this exercise with the uh, with the roster is we are breaking down everybody that was on the roster at the end of last season into three categories: guys we're going to build around, guys that are good enough for now, and guys we need to move on from. And the criteria is a combination of several things. It's obviously your are you still a good player or not? Is your contract worth it to keep? Um, you know, how old are you? Um, you know, do we have uh, excess or a lacking at that particular position? So it's a lot of factors into each one, but to make our life easier, we're going to put them into these three buckets. And then from there, we'll, we'll kind of gauge at the end of this exercise, where are we as a team? Are we really in a rebuild? Like we are excusing ourselves. Is it really legitimate? Or are we just, you know, a lot closer than we think? So, you know, we started with the quarterbacks last week, um, and we'll we'll keep a running tally of where we are with each player. We'll put that up on on the socials after this is over. But uh, today we talk about the, probably the most important, uh, I think, the most important uh, position group on this team to rebuild, and it's the offensive line because nothing else works without it without a decent offensive line. I mean, Giants fans, Giants fans got to know it by now. Right. I mean, yeah, we, we've, we've been seeing it and we've been complaining about it. I think I've been screaming about it since 2012. Um, 
we're going to go through everybody that's on the offensive line at the end of last year. So they are broken up into two chunks. It's guys who are still under contract and guys whose contract has expired at the end of the 2023 season. So I, I guess it makes sense to start with the guys who are currently under contract, right? Mm-hmm. And make that's sure cool. that we want them to stay and mm-hmm. decide what they are, right? So let's yes, start sir. with the most easy one, in my opinion, and that's Andrew Thomas. Andrew Thomas is signed through 2029. He does have a dead out in 2027 should something happen or, you know, he has had quite a lengthy injury history. Uh, You know, that is the kind of thing that if it piles up over the next couple of years, I could see that being a reason for a dead out. But I think we're both going to agree right here. This is a foundational piece to build a team around, right? I mean, if we were doing this in pencils and pen, I don't think there'd be one in darker pen than – build around for Andrew Thomas and you did allude to the question I was going to have for you is how concerned are you with his you know injury history and going forward because you know he I don't believe he's played a 17 game season yet has he uh I'm not sure but if he has it's like one time but am I concerned I'm not um okay look this could be a whole separate discussion and I'm not going to let it go there but I'm just going to throw this out there the mm-hmm. NFLPA is exploring their uh, reworking the offseason deal and how much work they can do, according to uh, what's Florio's thing, Pro Football Talk? Yes. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think, you know, the hamstring injury for Andrew Thomas week one, like, f- what, 10 plays into the season, probably somewhat conditioning related, right? In your opinion? Mm. I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I, I mean I, clearly, I'm not there. I'm not his doctor. I'm not a sports doctor. I'm not any doctor. But a hamstring injury chasing down, I mean, essentially just running the length of a football field. If a guy can't run the length of a football field without pulling a hamstring, it tells me he's not properly conditioned. Um, <clears throat> or he may not be. He might not be properly warmed up, or may not be properly. And again, sure. you were at, you were at that game. I was not at that game. The weather conditions were not ideal as That's well. That's true. Yeah. Uh, but, so, but I mean, I, nevertheless, they're, they're professional athletes, man. I, I don't know. I, 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 I have a very strong opinion about the NFLPA's uh, CBA agreement regarding the off-season practices and the amount of practice that they're allowed to have. Is very, very much reminds me of that fucking. Oh, damn. Uh, what, what's that scene from um, um, Major League? You know where he's like he, he whips out his contract and it says he doesn't have to do, do any calisthenics, calisthenics and, that he doesn't and, deem necessary, and then the coach just takes a leak on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean uh, that's what that's what it seems like to me. But in, in ter- sorry to keep this on Andrew Thomas, I'm not super duper concerned. It hasn't been major injuries like ACLs or you know. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it kind of almost was this year, but I mean that was that was just kind of a fluky thing. I mean that was an injury yeah, I, where he, I'm he's not doing some. He's, he's doing something that he's not normally doing. Like, and, and I get it, you know, getting conditioned and getting in shape, but, you know, asking offensive linemen when you're not really expecting it to all of a sudden run 70 yards or something is kind of un, a little unusual for someone, especially of those size. That was a fluke thing that, you know, knowing us, you know, fluke things happen and happen for the wrong, you know, we were in the long, the wrong end of the result of a fluky thing. But, you know, it's just, uh, I, again, I'm going to just keep my eyes open for his injury things going forward. It's not going to make – at this point, I'm nowhere near like, well, I don't know if I want to resign him or I want to cut him because he's just always hurt. That's not the case at all. But right. something just to kind of file for later, I think. Yeah, and, and like I said, having the dead out in 2027 I think is really helpful. 
Um, mm-hmm. I know that that's what is that like three years away, four year, four seasons away, three seasons away, something like that. Yeah. But yes, um, <clears throat> it's still something. It's worked into a very. I, I, that's a great contract. That extension. Oh, of course. And then, you know something. If it's because of injuries, I'd rather it be an issue because of injuries than. Wow, we have a Kenny Galladay at left tackle who's just mm. we're signed for three years and it's just we're counting the seconds before we can get out of it. That's going to be, you know, ninety nine percent the reason we have to use that out is because unfortunately he's physically unable to play. And make no mistake about it, having a left tackle that's a foundational piece is like that's a that's strike one, you know. Yeah. Um, let's move on to a. Another one that I think is going to be pretty easy. John Michael Schmitz signed until 2026. I'm going to – I don't know if we're going to agree on this. I think okay. I think we are. I'm going to mm-hmm. call him good for now I, oh. w- with, with the hope that he is a foundational piece. I don't think that the play that we saw last year screams foundational piece to me. And um, I, I think that he can become that. I think we probably had a bad O-line coach. I think we had a bad year last year. But in general, I can't in good conscience look at what happened and be like, we must build around this. I think you have to because that's the um, that's sort of what you what you draft him for, right? It's not after one year. but you You draft – yeah, you don't draft for one year. You draft for a future. And to me, I have him as a build around because, you know, it was his rookie year. You know, he, an offensive line as a whole was not very good either. But I think the biggest thing is changing up the offensive line coach. I think, sure. you know, we had a lot of complaints about it. You know, we're going to talk about another uh, lineman in a, in a couple of, uh, you know, slots a little bit where I think that's might make a huge difference also. But I think if we all complained about the offensive line coach, we've replaced that guy. I think it kind of. It almost wipes the slate clean for a rookie or a second-year guy to kind of, you know, where we have. And we were all like, you know, if you remember before the draft last year, we're like, well, he might be a first-round pick. We may want to consider him. And when he fell down, we were jumping around like maniacs that we were able to get him. So if this was his third year or his fourth year, I probably would say good enough. But I think because there's so much ahead of him, that is in the good enough – I'm sorry, that is in the build-around for me. Yeah, I, I think that that's where we're going to end up with him. I had high hopes for him to begin with. I, I just – I still know, do. Yeah, no, and I, I, I do as well. Um, I think that you you operate as if he is a foundational piece for now. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember something too. You know, we had a rookie center playing, and how many quarterbacks did he play with this year? Three? <laughs> that, that's true. And, and, and yeah, I don't think that the – the musical chairs offensive line is any good for a center either. Like trying, uh-huh. to, I, I, I don't know. And we also had two guys calling plays this year too. <laughs> you know, sometimes now the whole it, year was a mess. The whole thing was just a complete mess. So it, it, you're throwing, you know, we always say it's unfair what happened to Daniel Jones. How we put him in the, in the terrible position to succeed. We haven't done this guy any favors either or think, anybody. I don't in think, this yeah. No, nobody. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Let's flip this over to Evan Neal. Uh, his contract expires in 2025. Uh, I'm, I think this is the pick that actually influenced my John Michael Schmitz pick. This is a good for now. Uh, when he was drafted, he was a foundational piece. You hope for that. Uh, two years not showing anything that's promising. There's a chance that he moves inside, and that might revitalize the way I look at him, right? I mean, if he moves inside and he's lights out inside, then we're then we're talking a different story. 
but I don't know what his fate is even this year. I just know that he is not a talentless hack. He isn't. Um, and we've got him under contract. So that all just by default, I think that makes him good for now. I have him as good enough as well. Um, I like to keep things simple. He was the best offensive lineman coming out of the best conference in college football and on arguably the best team in that best conference. There's something there. And again, I think in this world we live in now where we want instant gratification, instant success, you know, we're looking at, you know, offensive line, which is one of the hardest positions to kind of, you know, play from day one and be really good at. Um, some guys take a little longer than others. And I'll put that in the same thing we talked about with, with JMS, new offensive line coach. You know, we, we have two guys that we think have under, underachieved who had a lot of talent and a lot of success in college. Let's see with a new coach what happens. You know, let's see if technique improves. Because, um, again, like you said, he's got talent. He has the size. He doesn't appear to be a guy who's a head case or a baby or a whiner. I mean, he doesn't come up to me like Evan, like Eric Flowers did by any stretch. Um, I just, I'm not ready to give up on him at all. And I think that one of three things will happen. One, better coaching and a year, extra year of experience and a year of maturity. He becomes a decent right tackle or like to your point, we bump him inside and we get that diamond of the rough and, and he's much better and he becomes a useful piece. So way too early for me to throw him out into the streets. I, he's good enough for me for now. Gun to your head, February 26th. Cranky. Is Evan Neal playing inside in 2024 or is he playing outside in 2024? Uh, he is playing. They are going to do everything they can in the offseason to try to keep him outside. But I think based on what happens with the draft and free agency, I think he's going to bounce inside. I think he's going inside. I think that's happening. I don't think they're going to try anything. I think that. Joe Shane and Brian Dable were humbled very badly this uh, this year, and I don't think that they're going to stick to their guns on Evan Neal at tackle. I think that they're going to fix the tackle situation, and if that means he's a backup, then he's a backup. If he's a guard, then he's a guard. That's what I think. I think, I think and this is a theme that just keep this in mind as we go through the rest of this exercise and think about the draft and free agency, is that Joe Shane, Brian Dable – are done with their honeymoon period and let's pay attention to see how their moves are going forward, that they're no longer long range plans for a rebuild and you know, of this or what they start doing for little short term gains just to get some wins and get people off their back. So, you know, I don't know whether bringing him inside or not is a short, a short term success that kind of, calms things down on the but is it good enough for the long-term success of this team or not just start watching some moves that they make and kind of look at that with that lens of are they doing this just to buy some time for themselves or is this really still part of a plan going forward let's move forward to mark Lewinsky. mark Lewinsky is under contract until 2025 he does have a debt out this year that i think saves us five million dollars i have him as a replacement level and if i could have i would have 
made it a replacement level minus two. He should have been replaced before he was even signed. So you're, that means you're calling him move on, right? Oh, yeah. Get him out of here. Yeah, I have him as move on as well. Uh, very disappointing. Um, no, I, I – let's turn the page. If I weren't super tired right now, I would go through and find – I think it was the first – after the first game reaction from the first game that he played in, whatever year that was, 2022, right? Mm-hmm. I said that he was the one guy on the offensive line that was not allowed to be bad because That's that right. was their one free agent signing. And I went – I was pretty livid about it. I, I was like, this guy can't play this poorly. That was the one guy that we spent money on in a year we had no money, and he was supposed to be the veteran guy that maybe he wasn't great, but he wasn't going to make mistakes, and he was just making mistakes left and right. And he's been that guy literally since that game. It has not gotten better. It's only, if anything, it got worse. I think it's gotten worse, actually. Yeah. So, yeah, Mark Lewinsky, get, get the hell out of here. Get off my team. Um, let's move to Josh Azudu. Josh Azudu, former third-round pick, signed through 2025. I'm going to call him... I'm going to call him good for now for the life of his contract, for this year and next year. I think that bringing versatility to... I think it's like four spots on the offensive line coming out of college. Um, he's not... He is not somebody that you are making roster decisions about, but the fact that he covers your depth bases and multiple spots on a team that needs to fill roster holes everywhere, I think that automatically makes him good for now. He's not great. He's not a huge liability either. He clearly has things he needs to get better at, but just his versatility, I think, makes him good for now. He costs basically nothing. Exactly, and that's one of the big reasons I have him is, is good enough as well. Uh, when I'm looking at this exercise, I'm not thinking of, is he good enough to be a starter? I'm looking at guys that, if, you know, the offensive line room has, you need nine guys, right? Pretty Every, much. Everybody and, has a role, and sometimes yeah. that role is the first man off the bench. It's very serious. It, it, exactly, and that's someone that, you know, you know, is good enough is definitely what that, what that fills for. So to me, I have him as good enough as well. And then last guy that's still under contract, I think, according to my notes anyway, is Marcus McKeithen. Same draft class as Josh Azudu, same school as Josh Azudu, signed through 2025. Uh, he's done a whole lot of nothing, um, but again, cheap as hell. Uh, Joe Shane seems to think that he's worth something. He hasn't, sh like, there's not a lot of, like, Giants film on him for me to have a super strong opinion, so he's going to fall into the same bucket, more so, you know, falling forwards you know what i mean or, or falling upwards into that good for now bucket uh, but yeah I, I don't really have anything negative to say i don't have anything negative to say about him other than he got a torn acl in training camp in his first year that's it yeah i mean if andrew thomas is the darkest of pens for um build around i have mark mckeithen as the lightest of pencil for good enough good for now um you know my guess is if we see similar production availability from him this time next year, we're probably saying move on. But for right now, I think he's still young enough, still cheap enough that I think uh, we keep him around. I think he's good for now. Moving forward to the contracts expiring, guys. I'm going to start with probably the biggest guy here, and that's Ben Brown. 
I think that Ben Bredesen is a guy worth reaching out to to retain. Uh, and and the, the reasons are the same as Josh Zudu, but with better skill, right? This guy can play multiple positions. They've worked him out at left guard, right guard, and center, even though I don't think he actually played any game time at center. Uh, so that utility ability, to kind of like your utility infielder, your, uh, mm-hmm. your versatile lineman there, his ability to come off the bench and uh, step right into the shoes of any one of those three guys is very, very, very valuable. He didn't cost that much to begin with, uh, though I think he was on a rookie contract. I would see if I could secure Ben Bredesen to stay. If you don't want to keep him particularly, uh, I don't know why. I mean, I think he was pretty much average at whatever position they threw him at. Um, they need something that fills exactly those shoes, if not him specifically. So I'm actually I, I'm a big Ben Bredesen fan. I think that what he did here was very valuable. Um, I think if you have to have him as a starter for anywhere from uh, you know five to ten games, you'll survive. You will be a very very good team if he's the first guy off of your bench to fill in for you know one or two games or something like that. That's kind of my opinion on Ben Bredesen. See, I had him as a guy that if he was still under contract for another year, I would have him in the good for now. Um, I think I'm not sure what his market value is out in the in the real world, you know, in the open market and stuff. And if I'm going out looking for players, I think I might try to upgrade him. I think so. I have him ultimately as a move on, but again, in the lightest of pencil for that. I think it's based on the situation. If he was still under contract for another year. You know, I think I would have said, you know, good for now. But um, I'm also looking at, you know, I'm kind of trying to do individual grades for these guys, and everybody is an aggregate. And you know, as I was going through this, I have a lot of good enoughs, good enoughs, a couple of these, and I'm like, well, wait a minute, this offensive line sucked. <laughs> How could all of these guys? I mean, there needs to be some improvements for it. And I think he was just one guy because he's again, he's a free agent. I just felt we could move on and and. and do better than him no i think i think that's actually a really good point um it's very easy to get locked into uh you know keep this guy or he he wasn't the problem let's keep him like no this offensive line stunk but that's that's sort of where i'm at right ben bredesen if he has to be your starter you're okay right but you keep him for let's just say you re-sign a ben bredesen for three years okay he's got to play 17 games year one but that means you don't have to you know what i mean like go out and get a actual starter for one year you can put that like you can you can put left guard on your 2025 wish list instead of your 2024 wish list you know what mm-hmm. i mean like you can get mm-hmm. by you know rewear your underwear for one more year and uh you know calvin <laughs> klein's got a new line coming out in a year or something like that i don't know i i, I got you I'm not, I'm not great at coming up with uh, allegories also, on the fly, but I, I try. I'm also not dying on the hill for the, for this one in particular. Again, we're talking about someone that's not really one of our, you know, he's certainly not in the, you know, am I trying to decide between someone I need to build around or is good enough for now? It's just kind of, I feel there's a lot of guys like him that can be got and maybe a little cheaper and maybe a little younger. Yeah, and that and that's totally fair. Let's, let's move yeah. to one that I think uh, – Giants fans are very interested in. That's Justin Pugh. Um, This kind of falls under the same basket for me of like, if you don't want to keep him, that's totally understandable. But somebody's got to fill the shoes that he came in and and played as a backup tackle. I have him as needs replacing. 
Uh, he, he was barely a functioning human being, let alone a functioning football player. <laughs> and and all, all credit to him for coming off the couch and being not only uh, a an immediate influx of life into the offensive line. Make no mistake about it. He really was. He was a maturity. Yeah. I was going to say an influx in the locker room. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he had a voice. I think he probably was a good teammate. Um, that said... That's that's all well and good, and me and Justin Pugh can hang out and get a beer anytime. Uh, but as when it comes to the 2024 New York Giants, I don't want him on the team. I would like that to be replaced. That to me is that might be in pen as a you know move on. Nice guy. Thanks for thanks for doing your service for coming off the couch, but uh, he just is not very good, and he's not young, and he's not you know he's not healthy 100 percent anymore. To me, you move on. In that same boat, Matt Parrott, uh, former third-round pick of the Giants, was uh, – I mean, at one point, I believe Jim Nagy said that he would be uh, the Giants' left tackle, not Andrew Thomas. That's a little bit of a senior bowl homerness. I think that was Jim Nagy that said that. Maybe, oh, man, I hope I'm not messing that up. I'm almost positive of it, though. That was nonsense. Matt Parrott never became anything because he's too scared to get to his spot and get his hands out fast. Um, that said – like I said before, Justin Pugh, backup tackle is a huge, 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 huge problem for this team. I still got him at need replacing, though. He never Thanks. he never developed into what I hoped he would. Yeah, you move on. I mean, it's a position of such need, you know, for depth reasons and whatever. And I just never felt comfortable with him being in. I always felt like a guy who was just like, how long are you going to be a project? You know, at some point, right. a project at some point, a project has to be completed. And unless you know, you're my dad. <laughs> he's he's been a project now for 80 something years hasn't he <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah I, I mean at some point it's like this is not going to get this is guy is never we're building him he's a project to be what to be eventually be a backup yeah nah, exactly yeah move on I, i'm I, with I, you yeah but but staying in the line of backup tackles let's go to uh tyree phillips tyree phillips was a guy who i thought you know was going to stay on this team after training camp last year got cut at the end, went to Philly, came back a better <laughs> tackle than when he left, which was a real indictment on Bobby Johnson, and mm-hmm. uh, came in and, and, and filled some shoes there when Evan Neal got hurt. Tyree Phillips, not super young, but also not expensive. I still have him in the needs replacing spot. I don't know how you got him. I have on the very lightest of good and, uh, good enough for now. Yeah, I think I think a reasonable person could talk me into it. Yeah, I, to me, I think that uh, I think he would be he's going to be a free agent, but I think you can get him back pretty cheap. And he he, he knows the offense. You know, I, I I again, I'm not feeling like again good for now. The key word on good for now is now. <laughs> and to me, to someone, I, if I can get another year out of him. Is you know if we're gonna need to replace a whole bunch of guys. The question is, who's the best of the eh? And he might be the best of that eh group that we had. Yeah, Cranky gonna squeeze all the breast milk out of that rock. Um, mm-hmm. just giants <laughs> after dark. <Love laughs> yeah. it. Um, all right, and then we're gonna get into the kind of fodder here. And I I hate to be uh, shitty to players, but. This is fodder. Uh, let's start with Shane Lemieux because he's homegrown talent, I guess. 
Uh, backup guard, always got hurt, never really did well when he was on the field. Better run blocker than pass blocker. I have him as needs replacing. Agree or disagree? Agree. Can we just keep going? Keep going. All right, Sean Harlow, another guy that was brought in, I want to say in the middle of training camp to be a backup center. Uh, I don't think that he did anything bad or poor, and yet at the same time, I still think that he brings very little. I mean, he could probably be retained for very, very cheap, and they do need a backup center. So I think I could be convinced and a good for now. I don't know what people are watching that are like, oh, yeah, you want him. He's the guy. Because I didn't. I, I don't know that there's a ton of film out there. I have his needs replacing. Kind of using the same thought process like I do for the Hall of Fame, where if I have to think about it, you're not in. If I have to think about it, move on. I have move on. Uh, so then I guess that means that both Wyatt Davis and J.C. Hasnauer both needs replacing? Move on. I, I can tell you straight up, Wyatt Davis was always going to be a, a disaster in the NFL. That was never going to work. <laughs> I just I don't think that that t- kind of guy really works at the NFL anymore. So, so how do you fix all this? So I, I've got a graphic up on the screen there, and everybody that's in red is gone. Right, and everybody that's mm-hmm. in white is still under contract. Um, a lot of holes. That's a lot of holes right there. And some of the guys that we have in white are not guys that we really feel comfortable about staying here. So, if you were to shot the free agent market, I'm going to ask you a couple questions about the free agent market here. Would uh-huh. you go? Would is there like a one? Would you go spear fishing for a white whale or you know something like that, like a big name, a big contract, a couple of years, maybe three to five years? You know, I mean, I don't know what what are you fishing for on the uh, the free agencies? Say, I feel like we have our whale already with Andrew Thomas. I feel like we have our shark with JMS. I think what you do is you need to you need to get bodies and you need to get bodies who are NFL caliber players. And then I think once you have that baseline of at least a functional offensive line, then you can go and say, okay, now do I, how do I improve the baseline from functional to really, really good? I think if you are trying to shoot your load with just getting, you know, the best right tackle in, in the free agent market and, you know, he goes down injury in week two. We're right back where we were before, where I think we're in a position now, you know, based on our analysis of the roster, you know, who we need to move on from and all these different things that we need bodies. We need a lot of them. We need we need a couple of starters. We need a whole bunch of guys, you know, who are ready to go, you know, next man up. Um, I and also I don't think we are one or two moves away from the Super Bowl. I think we are. I think this exercise is going to prove out that we are more in the rebuild than I think we may maybe thought we were maybe after last year. So I would sprinkle that money out along more, uh, get more pieces, get more competition, get more bodies in here. So we're not in a situation where we have to go to somebody's couch and pull them off the couch in week 12 to suit up and play. I think you could make an argument. So, so I'm not I'm not big on um, spending big in free agency often. Um, I don't even know that the Giants are in a position to really spend a lot of money. But a lot of Giants fans are big on this idea that at number six, if the Giants can't or won't go quarterback, I want Malik Neighbors or I want 
Brock Bowers or I want uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., right? Skill position. I mean, like, it is a fair argument. And and I say Giants fans, that immediately brings up images of Giants Twitter and, and dullards and people who uh, look at box scores and that's it. And uh, as soon as the Giants game is over and they've lost, they've already put on their whatever hat for other sports team and they move on just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, a reasonable person can say that the skill position group is a, a position of need and that there is no true wide receiver one. Darren Waller is hurt all the time. So if you wanted to argue for Brock Bowers, it's a fair argument to say that the skill position group needs help. One way or another, if you're going to address both, it's going to be difficult to do both in the draft. One thing has to happen in free agency. So I tried my best. The offensive line is a, a big kahuna, right? Like there's there's multiple parts there. There's a lot that needs to be filled in. You were just saying we need starters and we need depth. We need bodies. So whether that money is spent – they have three options, right? You can spend money on – I guess you have four options. Let's, let's go down them. Four options is you spend money on skill position and you draft offensive line. Option two, you spend money on offensive line, you draft – uh, skill position option three is you're a magician and you're able to draft everybody really really well with great value and you don't have to give up much of anything and option four is you don't try and fix everything in one year and you just concentrate on what talent is available this year and upgrade what you can upgrade this year and you play the long game i have no idea what option the giants are aiming for um so i tried to play it a little safe and i tried to look at if they were to spend big on the free agent market, who's out there that's worth spending money on? I came up with Jonah Williams at right tackle because to me, the biggest issue is if you can if you can secure, and I mean honest to God, be like, I'm comfortable with our tackles, right? I think that you can figure out the middle, especially when you already have JMS, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so my, my thought, Jonah Williams on a three to five year deal worth 10 to $14 million. I don't think that that's totally unreasonable or undoable for this franchise. Yeah, that makes, I mean, this all comes down to timelines. This all comes down to one, where does organizations see how close they are to really competing? And two, where does the Maras and the Tishes feel the timeline is for this current administration. Um, I think that's a lot of the decision-making that's going to be where, and again, this is where I have to start thinking, are they going to start making some of these moves to think about saving jobs as much as they are about, because you said, you know, we worry about this, this year, and then this, this next year, and this, the year after, but there may not be a year after, you know, we're, you're coming up on, you know, if we have another season, like we did last year, maybe we're not as, you know, injury rattle riddle as we were last year, but still, you know, underperforming, not making the playoffs. The noise is going to start getting loud pretty quickly. And uh, I I don't know. I don't know, you know, if, you know, ownership is told this front office, you know, told Joe Shane and told Brian Dable, look, I have all the confidence in the world with you guys. We, we have a plan and we are going to stick with it. Even if it's another rocky year or two rocky years, implement your plan or is it a hey guys you know we we need to see some what did maris say a couple of years ago we need to see some significant improvement or something it was like he gave a warning 
Uh, something like that, yeah. Something like that. I don't think that that warning should be this year, but that might come next year. And, you know, it, it, it all kind of consolidates your thinking. So I I hope I, – I think Joe Shane in and Brian Dable and this coaching staff deserves – to me, last year was fluky because of the injuries. I, I really think more than anything. The year before might have been a little bit of luck with schedule and just winning close games and all that. But I don't – I personally am showing patience. To me, you keep building as if, and I hope that's what this front office is doing and not thinking about, you know, artificial deadlines or in enhancing that deadline to save their own skins. The way I'm kind of looking at it is that if they – I agree with everything you just said there. I, I don't think that there's significant improvement is needed this year, right? Like I don't think they need to uh, get it right this year or be doomed. But it is time to uh, put the key in the ignition and turn it, right? Like it, <laughs> oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's time to get the hell out of here, right? So mm -hmm. um, the way I look at it is if that they're trying to I, – I think that there's a way – I mean, okay, let's just look at financials, right? If you can get a tackle for three to five years for less than $15 million, you're not getting a number one receiver for that money. That's not mm -hmm. happening. That is absolutely not happening. You could draft one, though. You can draft one on the rookie pay scale and do this, and you've kind of figured out something for the time being, if they want to go that way. I also kind of looked at interior guys. If they wanted to go maybe Graham Glasgow or Dalton Risner, those guys are much, much cheaper. You're probably looking at a two-year, three-year deal for like $5.5 million to $6 million, something like that, if they want to secure the inside. To me, though, money is better spent on the exterior. So that's kind of where I was looking at. Um mm -hmm. Speaking of the draft, so I just went through two straight weeks where I went through the top 16 tackles and the top 16 interior offensive linemen. And there's some mix and match there. There's some guys who played tackle in college that probably won't in the NFL. Uh, there's some guys who played both positions, right? And it's hard to project where they're going to go. As far as the first round goes, it's really difficult to pick, to figure out what the Giants are going to do. I don't think they're doing anything at six that's not quarterback and I think that if they can't get a quarterback at six, they're probably either picking a skill position guy that fell for no reason or they're dropping backwards. So I'm going to kind of just talk a little bit about some first-round guys, and I want your opinion on it. There's just four guys I'm going to talk about, right? Jackson Powers Johnson from Oregon played center all four years. Having listened to him speak personally at the Senior Bowl, he was talked to about playing guard. He said he's open to it, said he can do it. I think that he can do it. That's one option. I think he's going to be the the second highest drafted of all these guys in the first round. The highest drafted is going to be Olo Fashonu from Penn State. He's a left tackle. He's the left tackle in this draft. I think he's out of the question. Um, I don't think there's any chance to even draft him and move him to right tackle. So I would say he's like out of the Giants question. The other two guys that I think are really interesting, though, are Talisa Fuaga from Oregon State. Another guy I saw at the Senior Bowl. I think that he flew up draft boards. I think he's a right tackle that gets picked in the middle of the first round, probably somewhere between 13 and 23. Um, now, you know, the Giants at six, that sounds ridiculous, but if the Giants move backwards and suddenly they're picking at 11 or 12, it's not so ridiculous anymore. And then one other guy I'm going to highlight, this guy is currently floating around the internet on mock drafts around the 30 range, which means that he's probably 
technically accessible at the top of the second round. Remember, the Giants traded up in the second round to get to the first pick in the second round to get Landon Collins when he fell out of the first round for no reason. So I, I would think that the same kind of logic applies here. And that's Graham Barton from Duke. Here's my case on Graham Barton. He can play. He played left tackle at Duke for three years, but he also played guard in his life, and he played center in high school. This is a five-position player. Um, could you see any of that? Does any of what I just said make sense for the Giants to you? I guess the only thing, you know, if we're making that decision to get one of these guys, especially someone who, who looks to be a right tackle, it basically is saying you're making that decision about Evan Neal sooner than later. And sure, you know, yeah, yeah. With, I, a, with, with a new offensive line coach, without having the benefit of having OTAs before the draft and really seeing, you know, you can see the tape, but really, you know, g- getting under the hood to see, you know, he has to move to guard or I think he's good enough. I think you're kind of, I think you're kind of limiting yourself a little bit with him because again, you still have, a major investment in Evan Neal. And again, I might be a little more bullish on Evan Neal than most people are. Um, the other thing too is, and this is something you always point out is you're drafting the player, not the position. And, you know, based on where they're grading, you know, if they, if they, they're not going to reach to get a, 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 a tackle if, you know, the, the best one's off the board and it's, they're still hanging around six. So it's a question if they want to bounce back in the draft or not for it too um yeah absolutely and, and and like i said like some of these guys here like the the true tackles are Fashonu and fuaga right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. jpj is is interior only jackson powers johnson is only going to be a guard or a center and probably only going to be a center graham barton so when i did my video i split them up into two groups so i could do 16 of one and 16 of the other graham uh-huh. barton played left tackle at duke but everybody told me he's an interior O-line guy at the next level. After I watched him for the interior O-line video, I don't believe that. I think that he could be either. Like, truly and honestly, I think he's got the the, the foot speed to play on the outside and the patience to play on the outside. But, he does, you know, he's not excellent out there. I think he really could move to the inside. But I think if you had to move – I think that getting a guy like Grant Barton allows you to be just as flexible with Evan Neal. And the other thing with Evan Neal is – and, you know, we're talking about first-round, fringe, second-round guys right now. But yeah. regardless, there's no backup tackle. And the backup tackles we did have, we agreed, those were replacement-level guys anyway. Oh, yeah. So someone's sure. got to be the backup tackle. Yeah. So I, 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 I know first-round pick is a little extreme for a backup, but, you know, whatever. I, I, I agree with your assessment that, you know, it's nice having, you know, all the skill position players in the world, but if you don't have time to throw to them or, uh, you know, the ability to block for them, they're really not as worth it as they could be. I just, you know, if any of these guys – were any of these guys worthy of a top – six or even a top 10 pick in your book a top 10 pick well assuming like let's say we drop back to somebody we wanted we went like from six to eight maybe and got another pick somewhere and somewhere like who's worthy of a top tier pick of, of these guys or these guys you're saying are more like day two people i would call Fashonu top 10 i'd call jpj top 15 i'd call mm-hmm. fuaga top 20 and I call Graham Barton a day one guy. 
somewhere on day one. So in that order, Fashonu first, Fashonu, JPJ, Fuaga, Barton. See, this is where drafting sixth is annoying because. But like, see, that's you, the thing is, remember, we're drafting sixth in the second round, so that's up. That's also. true too. Yeah, but I mean, like for for you know, it, it really makes your decision process difficult when you're drafting six because you're not going to get one of the elite guys at the position you want you know what did we draft daniel jones at was he six also i think so yeah yeah so all of a sudden are you going for a guy that you know might potentially be a reach for, for a position of potential need or not or i don't know um i to me it's very simple this this team is gonna go we're, we're gonna Keep being in quicksand and, and spinning our wheels until this offensive line is is fixed. Um, I just want to make sure that we're getting the right pick at the right value. And uh, no, I agree. I don't, I, I don't think yeah. offensive line is in is in the first round cards. I think that the most likely is Graham Barton or Talisa Fuaga in the back half of one if we wanted to trade up for him, or and, more likely whichever one starts to fall to round two. And the guy, the guy from Penn State, he's a true left tackle. Correct? He is he's, absolutely. He's the best left tackle in this class. So I, let's I, let's just take him off the board unless yeah. something ridiculous happens, where <laughs> some sort of crazy trade involving Andrew Thomas and multiple first round picks, and who knows? But that's not going to happen. So I don't think so. So here's here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to I'm going to rattle off a list of six names, four mm-hmm. day two guys. Two day three guys, in my opinion. And I encourage you guys to watch on my other channel, the Football Grum channel, the two videos I put on one on offensive tackles and one on interior offensive linemen because I go into a lot more detail. Here I'm literally just going to name names. And I think these are guys are more likely targets for the Giants this year and that will solve problems. And and one thing before you do that too, just because someone's a day two guy does not mean you're getting your dumpster diving. Oh, God, no. No, yeah. no, no, no. I think some people think that it's like, well, he's, a, you know, he's just, he, or even as like a, a third round pick or something. Third round picks can do, uh, you know, fill a lot of needs on a team. Just don't look at, don't look down on that. Well, he's a third round pick. He's a, he's a right tackle with a third round pick. That does, you gotta keep open minds about that. Yeah, no, 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 no. Positional value, the, all sorts of things go into where these guys get drafted. But, but I'm just going to prattle off some names here. Day two, okay. Patrick Paul, tackle from Houston, somebody I'm super impressed with, especially as a guy, what I've read about him, the person. Christian Mahogany, offensive guard from Boston College, another guy I'm interested in. Isaiah Adams, formerly a tackle at Illinois, projects likely to guard. Dominic Puny, same thing, guard uh, tackle to guard, except at Kansas. Moving to day three, guys. Guys, I'm super interested in the Giants checking out Roger Rosengarten, the right tackle for Washington, which I guess technically makes him Michael Penix's blindside protector. That's um, right. And right guard from Georgia, Tate Ratledge, somebody I did not have on my radar whatsoever, was simply a name on a spreadsheet to me until I did his work. I actually think is a day three guy that is worth, uh, you know, considering. You know, it's the end of february so he could screw up royally at the combine or do something stupid i don't know but you know for for right now for today tate ratledge tate ratledge and roger rosengarten are day three guys so like rounds four or five that i think really could be you could get a lot of value out of that and i think the giants may or may not have been talking to roger rosengarten quite a bit at the senior bowl say that all right interesting kind of kind of kind of saw carmen Bricello there walking around giving some pointers to some specific guys and not others, you know? 
Oh, there we go. Doesn't necessarily mean anything. It doesn't. But it could mean everything. Who knows? Sure. I've got nothing further on this giant chunk of information that we just hammered through. Yeah, I mean, it's – I mean, I quarterback's going to get all the oxygen as we get closer to the draft with the Giants you know, draft a quarterback. But the most important position group to me, I don't think it's even close right now, is they got to start at finally – well, I think that's a little bit of a misnomer. I mean, the Giants have tried to address the offensive line. They have that's drafted, correct. I would say – they have draw. They have to be committed to a full, top to bottom build, one to ten. Not just we made a pick here, we made a pick here. It's getting guys that will eventually be cohesive together and have the depth where when the the ultimate injury happens and someone goes down, we're not all of a sudden talking about the draft next year. Yeah, I think it's important to. I think you can categorize all three of the last GMs here. Um, Reese and Ross, when it came to the O-line, they did try to address it. It was just too little too late. It mm-hmm. had already completely – they had let it totally fall apart and had to rebuild it from scratch. Uh, Dave Gettleman was hit or miss with his assessments. Andrew Thomas, absolute win. Uh, Matt Parrott, absolute failure. Um, mm-hmm. And I would say that Joe Shane is off to a fairly bad start. He hasn't – his main priorities were Mark Lewinsky and free agency, I would say. And Evan Neal in the draft, both have not really panned out. And then his well, other, yeah, Michael Schmitz too. Uh, but uh, again, that I, I'm going to believe that as an NA for right now. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly seems like it was a good pick and the and the correct one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Josh Azuda and Marcus McKeithen are like value picks, so they're really nothing. So I mean, the attempts have been there. It's it's not been totally ignored since. Uh, I would say just, just the 07, lower than what you want. Yeah. Oh, seven to 17. It was probably ignored. Uh, but that's, I, that's, that's a generation ago. It, that, it is, that's yeah. a no bearing on, that's no bearing on this team right now with either Correct. the personnel or the people that picked that personnel. They're not here anymore. So with that being said, I think that that's going to do it for this one, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, we will, uh, we will post, uh, like I said, Grump, send me over who you who your your selections were. We'll post a running total of the roster to this point and whether they're you know whether they're franchise, they're, or... yeah, or just good enough or get rid of. And we'll keep that up that so you can check it as well. And if you have any thoughts, you know, put it in the comments or send us a a, a tweet or whatever. And uh, we'd love to hear what you have to say about it. And if you guys want to like, subscribe, and comment, on, you can comment directly on this video if you want to. You don't have to send us a, twi- a tweet on Twitter. You can just yeah. hang out with us here on YouTube. Comment. Let us know if you think we're crazy. Um, you know, well, that's there's, easy. There's a, there's a good to fair chance that I am actually crazy. So um, you can go ahead and call me out for what exactly you think is the uh, evidence of that. Uh, right down in the comments, or you can send me a tweet too. That that works as well. Uh, of course, that would be at football underscore grump, at the cranky fan, and at just giants pod. If you want to do any of that on Twitter, uh, and if you're going to do that, you could at least tell someone about the podcast, right? You could subscribe, you could like, and you could just tell someone like, "Hey, I told this guy he's an idiot." On, on hey, YouTube, man. check it out. Everybody who listens to this, you know, you go to giant games, you sit around a bunch of people that your friends. Let each of them know. Say, "Hey, man, you got these two imbeciles who talk about the Giants." Give them, a, give them a listen. So we, we'd really appreciate that. Yeah, hell yeah. And we will see you guys next Tuesday morning with our assessment of defensive line, right? 
Mmm, yeah. Let's get, get into it. juicy. We're going to start flipping to the other side of the ball. We'll see you yeah. next time. Until then, go Giants. Go Giants. Go Giants.